welcome back to Pod Rocket, a web development podcast brought to you by Log Rocket. Log Rocket helps software teams improve user experience with session replay, error tracking, and product analytics. Try it for free today at logrocket.com. I'm Emily, producer for Pod Rocket, and your host today. And we're back with our panel episode where we cover a wide range of topics trending in the world of web development, as well as going through some of our guests' hot takes about what they're fired up about in the world of web development right now. But before we get into our topics, I'd like to introduce our panel for today. First up, we have Cassidy Williams, CTO of Contenda. Welcome back, Cassidy. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Always. Next, we have Chan, web enthusiast and educator at chan.dev. Welcome back, Chan. What's up? So good to be here. Thanks for having me again. Of course. Next, we have a newbie to our panel, but not to our podcast. We have Attila Ficina, senior DevRel engineer at Crab Nebula. Welcome back, Attila. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm super hyped to be here. And finally, we have our Pod Rocket host, Paul, here to round out the panel. Welcome back, as always, Paul. Thanks, Emily. Excited to dig into some of the stuff today. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So let's get into topic number one, web components in 2024. This month in January, the W3C Web Components Community Group met to discuss the new web component standards and improvements that they're looking to accomplish in 2024. They introduced quite a few, including a declarative shadow DOM, CSS slot content detection, scoped element registries, and many, many more. So first up, does someone want to explain what a web component is, how they work, and maybe give an overview of what the group does for the web components in web development. I have a pun. <laughs> web components, they're lit. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because it's literally true. <laughs> Literally true. <laughs> we can't get away from it. <laughs> Very quick, just like fun side note. I actually used to own the org github.com slash lit. And then their team was like, please, can we have it? And I was like, can I have something cool in exchange? They did not want to give me something cool, but eventually they did. And it worked out. And <laughs> I feel like we actually talked about this once on another panel. <laughs> it's possible. It's one of my like favorite little fun facts about web components. But anyway, web components, I just describe them as native components on the web, which is very self-explanatory with the name, but it's true. It's just, do you want to not really use frameworks? Look, you don't necessarily have to anymore. And it's easier. There, there's a lot in that necessarily, though, right? You don't necessarily have to because I would say that you are using just a different framework, right? I don't know. What, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Because I think that I've never honestly actually given them a try because React was just so great. And I was like, I don't need these things anymore. Yeah, I used them once. And then I was like, React's easier. And so I kept using React. <laughs> For now, right? For now, yeah. I genuinely want to use them because th th there's been a resurgence in popularity, which is probably skipping ahead from the what actually are they. But they seem to be like a very close to the metal, quote unquote, way of building components in browsers. I think that they have a great point and advantage opposed to like framework-based components that they respect. Like they're part of the W3C spec. And I think that's what sets them apart in this case. Yeah. But yeah, just 
I also tried with them like very early stages. And then I was like, okay, I'm more productive in other ways and, and stuff like that. So let's see how far they go. Like, they're doing good. Let's see how far they go. Something really interesting. I don't know. I was thinking about this on the walkover and usually like I take a, a wee gummy and take my walk into the office and like things just start flowing. It's pretty great. And this morning I was thinking about some of these topics and I was thinking about the benefit of like standards is that they go slow, they retain compatibility, like they're long-term, right? They require a lot of energy up front. And something that is so interesting that we got to see firsthand was literal disruption of like web technologies, right? Whereas you have this thing where like, okay, the web needs components, so let's like try to build web components as best we can with the kind of limited knowledge that we have of the problem. We'll try to do it slowly and collaboratively, and hopefully we'll get enough viewpoints. And then React like just skyrockets out of this web development thing and says, this is like a viewpoint that we have for the web. And then it, it like more nimbly reacts to all of the things that are like happening in the web space and what we need and it like shoots us forward 10 years in the future in terms of like processing out the things that we need these web components to do generically. But then it also like just reveals the flaws in a system that slowly accretes over time, which is web components just didn't do any of that. <laughs> and they continue to not do anything. And it feels like half of a solution, which it is because we just leapfrogged it so aggressively. But then we're also in that phase right now where it's like you start to see the disadvantages, and I think we're going to touch on this, of something that is just designed to be a counterpoint opinion <laughs> to standards, which I, I don't, I'm done now because I want to actually get to that topic as well. So there we go. Done. Just. <laughs> yeah. We're at an interesting point because React is get like Cassidy, your post about, oh my gosh, what's going on with React? It's getting so confusing. There's this like meeting of these equations where it's like complexity of the new and the bleeding edge to push us forward and what you actually need to build something that drives value. So yeah, I'm excited to dig into the peculiarities that came out of the recent meeting with the web component standards and kind of where we're headed. Like Firefox, that's cool. Firefox is on board now. Yeah, that's huge. Last year, I actually wrote a blog post on just the importance of open standards because a lot of times people do want to build something proprietary, which is not the right word for it, but some something that's contained in the system because if you learn that system, you're more likely to stay in it. Like how... I'm probably still going to be writing React, even though I'm annoying at the state of it, that sort of thing. But when you build to an open standard and there is a spec, there's so much value there because it's like a, a rising tide lifts all boats sort of situation. The more you conform to a standard, the more you can innovate off of that standard. And you see that in a lot of other technologies like RSS, for example, where because the podcasting community really bought into RSS, RSS improved and everything built on RSS improved. And it just moved everyone forward. And it's about being a good internet citizen. And so I think, uh, just long story short, I am glad that there's a spec and I'm hoping that this just means that even though it's still not quite there yet to the standards, which is another pun that I want to work with when building applications, it's something that I think is a good thing and that we should be encouraging. I think that the fact that it's a standard and bringing back to the fact to what you said before that they are closer to the metal also puts them in a sort of a unique position where no other framework based components are, where they can work as an integration layer. And that's why I think many big codes like it, because then 
they can bring all their teams they're building off whatever they want and suddenly they can all compile to or build towards having a web component and then having different kind of front ends talking to each other. If that's a good idea or not, I'm not going to dwell into it because that's not what it's about, but it is an option if you're like migrating or if you're doing something and probably the web component people are not going to like that I'm saying this is an advantage point because web components are so more than that. But it is something that is on top of what all of the other frameworks can do, except maybe for Astro where they can put everybody to play together. But that's a different kind of use case, I'd say. Yeah, that's actually... I. I really like the Astro kind of crossover here because I do feel like, Cassie, I know you're an Astro fan as well. I have been building everything on Astro. And it is fascinating to use Astro and get that feeling of, okay, Astro actually feels like a kind of post-React envisioning of what some of these web standards could be like, right? So like something like HTML imports. One of the things that they talked about in that article was the, I can't remember, DSD or something like that. I don't remember what the acronym was for, but it basically like shadow DOM elements that you can actually just write in HTML but with slots, which feels very astray, where it's kind of like, hey, you want components, but like you don't actually need them to do anything besides just be markup. And so I don't know, I was reading that and being really excited for web components for the parts that I want to use them for, right? If HTML had imports and I could import something that's like just a layout of things and I can slot things into that. Yes, please. Yeah, I want that. (laughs) I want that so bad. And yeah, Astro and 11T, I feel are really great at that word. It feels both modern, but also a return to old school web development, like the pre-React days where you might throw jQuery at it. But besides that, you're just building HTML, CSS, JavaScript and building a web app of some kind. And it feels like you're doing that, but with a lot of modern standards. And I'm excited for more of that. And correct me if I'm wrong, if any of you folks know the particulars about what they discussed in the recent W3C congregation. But it's only recently that they were kind of like, we're going to do this thing where you can slot without JavaScript, right? Because even before recently, we needed JavaScript in the web components to find the document node and then put it in the right spot, right? From what I understand, that was like the take of this meeting. So the declarative shadow DOM, which is a DSD, and then the other one, which is the CSS slot content detection. They are a product of these meetings. Ditching JavaScript is the main takeaway like the main product of what they decided i wonder if the astro folks are like we've been slotting stuff without javascript since the beginning (laughs) (laughs) it's what we do it's what we do yeah i think those were two of the big takeaways for sure in the vein of what cassidy was saying about combining like old school developing with modern technology do we see that this kind of like thesis might follow us into the rest of 2024? Do we think that web components will continue to see popularity? I know our next topic is like frustrations with React. Do we see that as two sides of the same coin? I I don't necessarily think that they are two sides of the same coin because there's more to what React does than that would be able to be replaced by web components. I do think that web components are going to be here for a while and they're going to continue to improve because, as we said, they're part of a specification group and there's a whole org around it and they are part of the platform and so on. I do think it's going to be here. I don't think it's going to go viral or skyrocket or, I don't know, 
what's the proper term for it, explode in any way. But uh, I do see them as uh, like this slow and steady growth that they're just going to get better and better because that's what the platform does in the end. We go and we build a bunch of stuff on top of it and we try to push it forward and then eventually it catches up and like overall we all get better for it. And that's why what I see Web Components doing. Like learning from all these frameworks, all these innovations, all this stuff. There are a bunch of stuff that not only Web Components are doing, but also like... TC39 does that, learning from frameworks and stuff like that. And then I do see it's, they're not going anywhere, but they're just not going to explode and replace anything that we have. I think that's a good point, that they're not going to explode. Like if we look at a lot of these fundamental shifts in like how we do things, think about Rust. Like when Rust first, first started gain popularity, everybody's like, everything's going to get rewritten in Rust. Just wait. And, you know, it is, it's just like a slow linear growth, this like baseline that people are starting to build off of. It wasn't like a LLM explosion or anything. So I, I like that call out of teller because there is hype. It's just not exponential hype. It's, it's sustainable hype. Which is good, a healthy and normal. And that's nice. It's not sustainable to explode and become an instant celebrity. Yeah. I want to add to that because I think that there's this evolutionary piece of this that we sometimes forget, but is really cool to see play out when you take the long view and like look at the last like 20 years of the web or something is that web components and like HTML imports, this class of things and the style things that they're trying to solve, these are all really good things. They were basically on pause for the last decade while everything got sorted out. And it's been really interesting to see because you have React, which is just a complete counterpoint to the web, basically just smothering the browser every chance that it can, just keeping it bare on life support just in order to do the things that it has to be able to do without making React the browser. But then in order to compete with those, like all of these other frameworks formalized a layer of communicating around things like slots and some of the more parts of it that would like eventually end up as platform standard. And like now it's okay, hey, it seems like everyone else is coming to consensus on like language and all that kind of stuff. And so like, how can we wrap that back into the browser? And so really interesting to see these like stair steps in real time of juggernaut industry is trying to compete by being that middle ground between standards and juggernaut and then like standards finally eventually like keeping keeping up. Um, but also trying to find a path where you can still use a framework. And I think that's maybe the most interesting thing about this proposal is that it seems like they're at that point now where it's, okay, we have to be able to integrate with frameworks reasonably. And so what are these like atomic pieces of API that we can provide that are both useful independently and work well with frameworks? And that's the piece that I think is maybe the most interesting to see is that it's, okay, cool. Like that part of it's happening. And so we're slowly going to get that trickle of like actually useful things that don't necessarily do everything that React does. Yeah. Another example of like platform catching up and sorry, I'm, I'm a solid JS team member, so I need to mention Signals <laughs> at some point. But yeah, so that that's another one, for example, that Signals became hype again eventually at some point in the past. And now there is like an early proposal in TC39 to make a standard for Signals. So that's something that's quite in the same way of building components. We get to that point as well as we look at it, for example, Temporal API is another one where everybody saw what Moment.js was doing and other libraries were doing, how to handle data. And, the, and the, the, the TC39 said, okay, let's bring that in and let's make it part of this pack so people can have a better DX. So I think that's the point of what we are all doing in terms of tooling is actually to help the, the platform move forward. And 
by doing this like little small frameworks and in uh, things allow us to move faster. In this case, an experiment. That's the point. And then saves time. Awesome. Love this discussion, but we got to move on <laughs> due to time. Great. Next, we mentioned, touched on this a little bit, but our very own Cassidy Williams on the podcast right now wrote a blog post that went viral last week, which detailed why she's annoyed at React and how hard it's gotten to understand. There's issues with limited releases, calls to use frameworks, canary releases, et cetera, et cetera. Lots of noise around React. And he even claimed that there are two Reacts now, which I'm excited to get into as well. But first up, Cassidy, can you just give us a brief overview of what you detailed wrote about your frustrations with React and why you chose to write this. Yeah, my little blog, man, I had to increase my analytics plan because there were a lot <laughs> of people reading my rants. So there's a few things that frustrate me about React. And I will preface with, I still like React and I still use it, just like how I both started and ended my blog post. I still generally like it and use it. I'm frustrated with it because for a few reasons, there hasn't been a release in a very long time. It's one and a half years, almost two years now. I don't really like that a lot of the core team members are just like, oh, just use a framework. And then you don't have to understand it. I don't like that it became very black boxy. And then a lot of the vocal people ended up leaving the core team to go to another company that owns one of these big frameworks. And I'm mostly mentioning that not because I'm against that one framework existing, but it feels like they're first of all using a lot of like canary releases instead of like the main one that everyone can use. And like the communication has just been super down on that front. And yes, like more people are still on the React team on the meta side still, but the ones making all of the big commits are under this user framework crowd, which once again, I understand frameworks are cool, but it's just frustrating that it's getting harder to understand. The documentation took forever to be rewritten. And it took so long that it's still not the number one link when you look up React documentation online. And that team just wasn't supported, the people who were writing the docs. And that is a frustrating thing. And then also just diversity efforts in general, very visibly took a backseat. And you can see the effects of that right now, where in 2020, I emceed the Women of React conference. And I think of all of the speakers on there, I think maybe two of us still like to use React. And I think that is just one indicator of that. And there are plenty of people in the various comments on the waves of the internet being just like, that's not a valid reason, but it is. If you don't have diversity in people building with a product, then you have an inferior product. And then on the two Reacts side, it's not that there's two Reacts, but it feels like there's two Reacts because the client side and the server side feel so different and feel like they don't play well together. And when you talk to anybody on the React team, they're just like, just once it clicks with you, you'll get it. Just You just have to wait for it to click. But then it takes essays and essays worth of information to try to make a click and it doesn't fully click. And I feel like there's a problem there with communication. But anyway, yeah, I still like React, but that is the brief overview. And you bring up the docs because I know somebody who's in the past year stepped into web development mm -hmm. and they're good at reading docs, but 
the Googling process. Like they say, software engineer, you know, you're a professional Googler. So they're still getting the hang of like how to Google, when to use double quotes and stuff. But amongst all this, it is difficult and challenging to find the right set of documentation from React. Whereas if we rewind five years, it's like they had the best docs. Exactly. Yeah, no, a friend of mine recently switched from Vue to React and I realized as I was looking at his code, I was like, oh my gosh, you've been reading the wrong documentation. And and he didn't know because that's what was coming up. <laughs> I think this, like this right here is like so fascinating to me, the intersection of like things that feel very businessy, like SEO, right? And then the, the purity of open source and giving away software for free, right? Is, the, <laughs> is like just that weird intersection where it's, this thing is falling apart because the SEO consideration was not taken care of in time, which is just so funny to me. <laughs> like it's so wild. Attila, Chan, Paul, do you share these frustrations with Cassidy? Would you personally get frustrated with React? When I read Cassidy's post, I related so much with it because I worked with React for nine years, something like that. And then pretty much at the same time as the events she describes started happening, something as ironic as it sounds, something stopped clicking for me. It, it, it's hard when somebody comes and tells you, look, I'm going to tell you how to build your stuff and just trust me because I know what I'm doing and you just follow these rules. Because I like understanding whys and, and I like having my opinions. I have a bunch of them. Sometimes they're wrong, but they're mine and I like them anyway. Anyway, so then I started looking around and then I didn't write a blog post. The outcome is basically because I don't still like it. I kind of moved on because I just understood that I'm very big on the philosophy of, okay, if I... Something is frustrating me for, I don't know, some time or so much. I just move on. Uh, I'll find something else. And I went around and looked at this experiment. And then eventually I found something that I like to work and felt comfortable with. Played around with a few side projects. And now in my day-to-day -day job, we're working with uh, something else. Then it's not React. And I do enjoy it. it. It moved me into that. And I think that... Though SEO played a big role, I, I think that's not entirely to put on SEO because there's more than one way people find the docs and there's more than one way people find documentation. And I think a project needs to be able to onboard people. And when you onboard people with a bunch of recipes and you tell them, okay, just trust us or just do this or just do that. And you make a bunch of just decisions, you kind of undermine people kind of way of making their own decisions and that kind of is off-putting and daunting at least. So I think that's one thing, though I got to say that maybe it's the fact that it's been around for so long and has so many people involved that it's hard for them to be nimble and fast and listen to feedback and this kind of stuff. So I do take that into consideration, but in reality, that's where it's at. To me, it's kind of hard to navigate. It's funny that you bring up not being nimble and fast to listen to folks. And I kind of want to relate that back to what Cassidy was saying at the beginning of this podcast. And when I mentioned like the intersection of like complexity of React and versus web components, I feel like in some ways they're almost too nimble and fast, like the bleeding edge, the, the canary releases. And then it's once you're down the line, it, it, it is harder to turn back and say, all right, guys, like, how do we change it? How do you like retrograde back into what we've done? There's a difference between being nimble and fast towards feedback and being nimble and fast towards, oh, this is what I want to ship. And I'm going to send a canary review, like under the box. And I'm going to tell everybody that 
my framework stable, but it's on top of a canary release. And that's weird, at least to me. But then again, I've been around and I think most of us were when it first came out. And do you remember the backlash they got on the first on-click that they showed in, I think it was JSConf? I understand that they do the innovation in a closed space and then they come back with an RFC and say, you like it or you don't, let me know. (laughs) (laughs) But I do understand that because there was so much backlash that it was like, I don't know, I would retract a little bit if I got that as well. But then again, it's been 10 years and I don't know. We got to move on sometimes. Okay, I, ha- I have a kind of a question, but it's I don't want to leave you all hanging. And so I'm going to like give my answer first to provide some space for this. Cassidy, how long was it? Did you say I'm looking at the post, but I can't really find it. How long has it been since uh, actual like release of React proper? Since June 2022. Okay, June 2022. So very long time. One of the senses that I got from reading your post, Cassidy, which was brilliant. I agree with every part of it. The two Reacts, I feel like there's this intersection point, right? Where React, as we have referred to React, the collection of APIs that we think of as React, is effectively done software, right? It's basically improved to the point of, it is the full representation of that idea of a declarative component model that you can use in the browser, right? It's basically done. There's a handful of new APIs that are coming out that are like nice, right? There's a a use promise, which will be awesome, right? But like, effectively, React on the client side is done, basically. And there's this second emerging React, which is like React on the server side. And so if you love React, what I'm hearing is that we really like React on the client side. And basically, the signals have all said that it's done. (laughs) And the, the only place to move is into the server side. And so I feel ambivalent to the whole thing, because I don't really care for React as a server-side model. And I I don't know, like I, maybe I'm just getting old or whatever. I am on the side of kind of enjoying the decoupling of the client-side and server-side. Like I don't want to like have to write my backend in a sponsored software model. <laughs> I'd prefer to use open source for that and then just continue to use React on the client-side. And so there's like this feeling of we got what we came for and like now it's sustaining itself through commerce, which is totally natural. I just don't really care about the current commerceability of React as like a way to actually drop you into a certain framework or like API. And like the thing is, sure, Remix may come along and make a counterpoint to the Vercel thing, but then you're just in Shopify's lap, right? I prefer to just use a framework that is committed to sustainable like open source. And I I don't know, maybe that's a little bit spicy, but I just don't care about the second React. You can do whatever you want with it. I got what I came for. (laughs) I have a question though for you, both of you. We're talking about now two Reacts and I think the problem is that they're living at the same time, but it's actually third and fourth React or something like that because React when it first came out was like all classes and stuff. It was like a completely different library framework, whatever. And I think we're getting to this new age. And then I I don't know if that's all about the sustainability of the project itself that they decided, okay, first we put our chips on JSX and then it it panned out and it's nice and it worked. And then we put our chips on hooks and now we're going to put our chips on the server size. Is that what's getting at or... I? Like, I don't deny that what they come up with with will be revolutionary, but also it's just like in the same way that React was revolutionary and now we're 10 years later starting to see that actually trickle down into something that we can use in the browser through this, some of these uh, kind of web component updates. It's going to be the same thing. What they're designing is a revolutionary way to connect your backend and your front end and 
include in that kind of somewhat miraculously, like we didn't even talk about React Native, right? There is a connection point, an obvious connection point using those React-specific protocols to actually connect that layer as well. So if you want to use React everywhere, what they're doing is revolutionary and will be very incredible. It's just like, how much do you care about that, given that like it won't actually result in standards that are usable on these fronts for like 20 years? I'm hoping to be done by then. So it's hard (laughs) for me to like care. And this is where the like, maybe I'm just old, part of it comes into play, which is I just by the time that I get to use these on standards, I'm just going to be like writing my blog and I'm already going to have HTML imports, presumably like in the next three (laughs) years. Who cares? (laughs) I admit this is where I'm using Preact a lot more because it's still using like the client side mental model that I like, plus signals and, and a few other things. And like their most recent release was a month ago. And it seems to be moving in a direction that works with my brain a little bit more. And I do feel like what you said, Chan, like they're making React work everywhere to be more like a programming language rather than a library. And good for them. Seems cool. I would like them to communicate that better. And I also, if I just want the client side stuff, there you go. I'll I'll either use Preact or just use the React that works in my brain. Yeah, I guess we didn't get the memo on those changes, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's the frustrating thing. It's the communication side of it. And I don't want to rant too much about it anymore because you've heard me rant enough. But that's been the thing that has bugged me the most about React in general for the past few years is the lack of communication. And then it'll be a random core team tweet that's like suddenly in a newsletter and it was, wait, look at this. Or occasionally Dan Abramov will write really well-written blog posts and I appreciate them, but it almost makes it more confusing and you feel like, okay, I just don't get it yet then. I guess I'll wait for more clarification. <laughs> I got it. Real quick, real quick. One last thing. <laughs> we got to hype up Cassidy. And I think probably the thing that I'm most excited about this time right now is just the fact that Cassidy wrote something because like, I yeah. have had the privilege of being in rooms where like I've seen the direct effect of Cassidy, your ability to communicate exactly what everybody's feeling is so incredible. And I just want to shout that out because it's amazing. And I have seen it make important communication changes in the past. And the thing I'm most hopeful for is is that your work does that again. It's extremely commendable how she wrote it. Everybody was feeling and thinking, but nobody put it in words before her. And now everybody, oh, that's it. It's (laughs) super cool. You're crushing it. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. So... Thank you, Cassidy, for putting all of our thoughts into words. So we're going to hop into our hot takes next, where each of our guests is going to give us their hottest take about what's happening in web dev right now, even though this whole episode has been pretty spicy. But before we get into those hot takes, I'm going to take a quick break to read an ad from our sponsor. This episode was brought to you by LogRocket. LogRocket offers session replay, issue tracking, and product analytics to help you quickly surface and solve impactful issues affecting your user experience with LogRocket. You can find and solve issues faster, improve conversion and adoption, and spend more time building a better product. All right. Now let's hop into our hot takes. I'm going to go around and ask each of you to give me your spiciest take for what's happening in WebDev right now. Attila, can we start with you? Sure. So the hot take that I brought is about signals not being an implementation detail. I do think that what makes them not an implementation detail is that by changing the mental model and where we reason about our data, they prevent us from writing code for our code to work in terms of not preventing 
something from rendering or not forcing something to update or subscribing for something, you don't need to think about that. And the fact that you're not doing that, what the signals as an abstraction gives to us developer using it is a different way to to interact with our code. And that's what makes them not an integration detail. I think what becomes an implementation detail is when you can abstract entirely that from the user. And in this case, the consumer developer. And that's not what signals are a mental model that we build around it. And that's my hot take. I like it. Hell yeah. Any other comments? <laughs> no. All right. <laughs> Paul, what is your hot take? My hot take in web development is maybe less web development related, but it directly connects to it, which is I've personally seen in my own experience working with groups, especially like smaller groups, that hosting is coming back to teams owning hosting. I've seen self-hosted bare metal, like you just get a like rack somewhere, you get a rack in the US and the rack in the Europe. There's a lot of free open source tools, Ansible Tower, Salt, not, not open source anymore, you name it. You can reduce your cost by 10x. I've seen it with my bare eyes. And sometimes that does indeed go over the cost of having another team member, which is never a bad thing if they're an awesome person to work with. So owning infrastructure is coming back into popularity and it's exciting to see that. And I feel like it's a good thing. Wow. Bare eyes, bare metal, can't lose. <laughs> Great take. <laughs> All right, Cassidy. <laughs> what is your hot take? So uh, a lot of this episode has been my hot take, but my like, ooh, could it be take is I think that Next.js might not be the favorite framework this year. I feel like there's been just enough frustrations and stuff that people are switching around. And when things like, again, Astro are getting more popular, I'm seeing a lot more Alpine, HTMX, Eleventy again. I, I think that it's not going to be the king of the hill anymore this year. Maybe. We'll see. That is a spicy take. More yeah. kings, more hills. More yeah. kings, more hills. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Chan, what is your hot take? Yeah, I think this is not a hop happy hot take, but I think it is a real hot take. I think a lot of my friends in like DX this last year have been losing their jobs to teams that carry on. I actually, that happened to me this week. And I just... I feel all right with it because I recognize that as DX, like we're often single use packets of sugar to corporations. And I just wanted to say that I think that we should be mindful of that because that's just the way it is. And I have a talk on that where I elaborate on that a little bit more from Render ATL. It's called Fail Fast, Win Well, I think. And so if you're interested in my takes on that, I think it's a good talk for you, especially in a landscape like this that's just chaotic and weird for our types being DX people. Anyway, that's it. Go watch that talk if you're feeling insecure. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for sharing your hot takes. Um, any other closing words before we close out? Go, internet. Internet. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm going to go around and just ask each of you where people can find you. Attila, where can people find you online? So you can find me on X or Twitter as Attila Fascina, or you can find me on YouTube because I have a small YouTube channel that one day I hope it to be bigger, which is you can find as Attila.io slash YouTube because the handler is messy and hard to find because there are other people with my name around. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Cassidy, where can people find you? 
You can find me at Cassidoo, C-A-S-S-I-D-O-O, on most things. Concise. Chan, where can people find you? Yeah, I'm Chantastic. Most places I probably spend the most time on X, and then I sporadically write on my blog, Chan.dev, and Chantastic on YouTube. Awesome. And Paul, where can people find you? Just here, talking with you, Emily, and the guest here on Pod Rocket. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Just here. I was about to put make up a Twitter like last year because, you know, I'm... I think I'm the youngest one in the room. So I'm like, you know what? I should do this thing. I should make a Twitter. And then and then it changed. And I was like, I'm, I don't know what I'm going to do yet. I'm just going to stay here for now. <laughs> just so. don't start. Just don't start. Yeah. <laughs> don't do drugs, Paul. <laughs> Until there's a single place for everyone to come back to, just don't even try. Thank you, everyone, for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for all your hot takes and your insights into what is happening right now in our industry. And if you are listening and you have any questions you want to hear. We're going to have an episode about JavaScript runtimes coming up. So if you have any questions about runtimes you want experts to answer, please DM me at my Twitter handle. It'll be linked in the notes. And we'll see you next month. Thank you everyone again for joining me. Thanks, Emily. Bye. Thanks a lot. <laughs>